0: Hello, and welcome to the Europeans. I'm Mick Tereorst, co-founder of Are We Europe, the continent's most beautiful magazine, and proud host of this mini-series. Katie and Dominic are still away, so lazy. But it leaves me with the opportunity to listen to these beautiful stories with you. We hope you enjoyed last week's episode as much as we did, and so here is the second installment of The Chain, a podcast series celebrating the things Europeans love about each other's countries and cultures. It's part of the Summer of Solidarity, a pop-up journalism project that's bringing some much-needed positivity right now. This week, we're hopping from Sweden to France, France to Spain, and Spain to Austria. And the first story is pretty unusual in that it um, doesn't actually come from a human. Ellie is a collie-golden retriever who lives in Sweden. And last year, she took a 23-day road trip through the heart of Europe, down to France, and back again. This is the story of what Ellie saw and smelt, as told by her mother, the author Julie Lindahl.
1: My parents were loading the car to go somewhere. I flopped down on the terrace, feeling gloomy. It didn't look like there was room for me. Every dog's nightmare is to be left behind by the pack. But soon, a magic call came from my father. Come, Ellie girl, let's go, hop in the car. My father, who smelled of jam, butter and burnt toast, switched on the radio and started the engine. Have you got her passport? He asked my mother. She smelled of sweet moisturizer and sweat. I watched her rummage in her bag and pull out a dark booklet with a circle of stars on the cover. Inside it was a picture of me, so proper, she couldn't imagine there would be any problems during our trip. But I knew there were times of year, like now, when my wavy black coat sheds so much I become like an outcast. Did I still look like the majestic nine and a half year old collie retriever in the picture Maybe no one would let me inside the places my parents were going. I'd have to wait outside, tied to lampposts watching pigeons or curled up like a cat in the car. My mother sighed as she put the passport back in her bag. We'd surely be fine in Scandinavia. But how the Germans, French and Italians would react to the shedding, panting, salivating me was anyone's guess. We crossed border after border. But a strange thing happened. No one seemed to care about my passport. Whenever my mother tried to show it, no one even looked at it. They just smiled and winked and waved at me through the window. At the gas station, a friendly woman even suggested some vitamins to stop my shedding. We travelled further and further into the light and the hills. The luscious scents of cow manure from grasses and wildflowers were different than at home. Not once was I tied up outside or stuck alone in the car. Everywhere, humans welcomed me with words I had never heard before but understood with my heart. They gave me bowls of water. They scratched my belly. And they filled it with delicious fatty sausage and crusty bread dipped in tasty oil I wasn't usually allowed to have. One day, my father and I got lost on a walk. We kept passing the same vineyards and duck farms. We were going in circles. But then we passed some firemen who were rescuing a whining cat stuck in a tree. Imagine my satisfaction when they interrupted the rescue to drive us home. Another time we stopped in a tavern. I sniffed the spirits of dogs that had come before me over centuries. Some toothless old men were downing strong smelling drinks which made them laugh so hard I couldn't help but wag my tail. In response, they breathed their warm breath over me and petted me with their big, hardened hands. As we were heading back into the cold, dark north, a policeman knelt on the platform at a subway station and kissed me on the head. He complimented me on the silkiness of my ears. After that, my mother and father called him a Great Dane. As we were nearing home, they had stopped talking about Scandinavians, Germans, Frenchmen and Italians. They just thought of everyone as good Europeans. Maybe that was like being a German Shepherd, a French Bulldog, or one of those yappy Italian dogs that sits in a handbag, or a collie Retriever. In the end, we're all just good dogs.
0: Thank you to Lisa Klevermark, the voice of Ellie. How many people can say they've played a dog on a podcast? And as Ellie's journey brought us to France, that's where we'll stay for story number two. It comes from Sedera Rana foyarinossi a writer based in Paris. And her story takes us to the island of Tenerife.
2: In March last year, when my father's death made my world crumble down, All I wanted was to leave Paris. I'd still be a crying mess, but at least I'd be far away. Far from my bedroom, which was still haunted by the memory of that awful telephone call. Far from the pitying looks of friends and family who knew what I was going through. My boyfriend, Fred, and I arrived in Tenerife in August. We were going to climb to the top of the Té de Volcano, Spain's highest peak. At sunrise. My first volcano, my first complete mountain climb. My pain came along for the ride. Every step we took, my father was on my mind. Every restaurant, every scenic view reminded me of the things we'd never see together. On the morning of the climb, my boyfriend tried to cheer me up. We'll be closer to him today, it'll be nice. For Fred, It was an uncharacteristically spiritual and poetic comment. It stuck with me all morning as I gazed up at the mountain. But as we reached the halfway point, I broke. Tears started flooding down my face. Maybe it was the scorching sun that did it. Maybe it was the physical effort or the Martian landscapes that surrounded us. But for the first time in six months, crying made me feel lighter. My eyes dried up and I took in the marvellous colours. The ochre soil, the saturated baby blue of the sky, the stony grey of the lava rocks. At 3,200 metres, we stopped for the night at Tade's only shelter, Alta Vista. I took off my heavy boots, sweet relief for my weary feet. After a couple of downward facing dogs, two hearty bowls of pasta filled soup, and a look at the stars, we settled in for a few hours of sleep. At 5 a.m., we set out into the black and cold for the last steepest stretch of our trek. Only 500 meters left to climb on a rocky path. I'm not used to high altitudes, and my breath came short and sharp. We had to take it slow but I kept walking. Just before the clock struck seven, I got to the top of Teide. 3,718 meters. I'd done it. I sat down on the rocks next to Fred. Teide is a live volcano and the ground was delightfully warm. At our feet, small cracks in the rock spewed steam in billowy shapes. It was so pretty that I forgot about the smell of rotten eggs. A bright orange dot poked over the horizon, and rays of light began radiating into the inky sky. I held my boyfriend's hand on one side, and in the other, I felt a presence. From then on, I knew. Whatever I saw, my father saw with me. Fred was right. We were closer to him up here. My eyes welled up again, but I was happy. I wasn't alone anymore. We rarely get to experience true magic, but this sunrise was magical. I almost floated back down the mountain. Back at the car, we brushed the volcanic dust off the back of our trousers and shoved them in the trunk. We drove away, leaving the Teide behind us. But it wasn't quite done with us yet. All day, my right butt cheek was itchy. I thought nothing of it until the end of the day. We'd reached Masca, a gorgeous village nestled in a steep and wild ravine. Trying to discreetly scratch my butt, my finger broke through the fabric of my underwear. It split weirdly easily, like a fingernail ripping through cling film. Something wasn't right, I asked Fred to check and he lifted my dress, then he burst out laughing. The verdict was unequivocal. There was no underwear left to speak of. What the hell? Back at our Airbnb, we took out the hiking clothes we'd discarded earlier. Sure enough, the sulfur on the volcano had burned huge holes, turning our respectable sportswear into assless chaps. It was an oddly fitting end to the day. We'd lost two pairs of trousers and our underwear. But I regained my trust in life's little pleasures, and that's something I thought I had lost forever.
0: I did not expect that beautiful story to end with assless chaps. So, we're hopping from the Canary Islands up to Austria for our last story of today, which comes from Marta Santivanez. Marta is one of the editors of the JFA Human Rights Journal, and I'm pretty sure her story is going to leave you feeling hungry.
3: If it's Vienna, then we're having cake. I'm talking about two or maybe three layers of chocolate sponge. Apricot marmalade sticks them together and covering the whole thing a layer of chocolate fondant, shiny as a mirror, almost velvety in the mouth. Who goes to Austria without trying Sachertorte? I'm not usually a big cake person. I have a nut allergy and bakers tend to use almonds and walnuts with a certain laissez-faire that gives me a swollen face. Despite this, shall we say, inconvenience, I could talk all day about the sweet stall at the Viennese café where we went to throw our hard-earned cash into refined sugar. I remember that day as pure joy, laughing about anything and everything while strolling around town, finishing it with endless icing. It was one of those old-time great evenings. I never thought I would like Vienna all that much. I grew up in Madrid, which is beautiful in a way that is also dirty and raggedy. In Spanish, I would call it pícara. A bit roguish, somehow brazen. Vienna is nothing like Madrid. It seemed like a solemn kind of place. And this initially threw me off. My first visit to Vienna came about because my friend Paula invited me to visit her family during our midterm break. As we rode the subway to Paula's house, her father introduced himself over text message. Would you like chicken or beetroot soup for dinner? I was immediately sold. Vienna found me heartbroken and homesick during that trip. But the city helped with my healing process mainly thanks to tasty drinks and excellent pasta. Following that first trip, Vienna became a safe harbor I could escape to when I needed to be on my own. Not long after, Paola offered me a place to stay yet again. And I found comfort again, this time in long conversations over espressos in small cafes that allowed us to take our watercolor paints and stay for hours. In Vienna, I could cast off my responsibilities. It felt like the city was extending a hand, asking me to be part of its bars and parks, its markets and museums. It felt lifted, but safe. And the food. To me, the food is as much a part of Vienna as Sisi or Freud. In Vienna, I learned to knead butter with honey, so it softens and spreads over toast sweet and slimy that boiling hot falafel from Paula's favorite stall soft and salty pretzels warm coffee in the morning and of course the cake almost a year after my first trip to Vienna I stopped off for the third time I was traveling around Europe with my friends interrailing A fun thing to do when you're 18 and you still find cheap hostels charming. That is, of course, if there isn't a pandemic threatening the fabric of our society. Being in Vienna with my friends, it felt like an intrusion into my intimate relationship with the city. I realized it was a chance for them to share in the quiet and the self-reflection that I had found there. We ran around museums and hid all the tourist sites on the map. I dragged my feet from street to street, looking for something familiar. And I finally found it, in a shiny slice of cake. I think Vienna will always be a place of warmth and comfort for me, at times of disquiet. Somehow. I find myself in this polished, pristine, almost unreal European city. And it smells of freshly cut grass mixed with horse manure, bitter coffee, crisp air, and chocolate cake.
0: That's it for now. The third and final installment will be on your feeds very soon. In the meantime, head on over to summerofsolidarity.eu to find more of the brilliant stories that are being released as part of this collaborative journalism project. These podcasts are a co-production by the Europeans and Are We Europe? Find us at areweeurope.com and europeanspodcast.com. This episode, you heard from Julie Lindahl, Sadira Ranae-Fuarinosi and Marta Sanifanyas. Mixing and sound design was by Katz Laszlo, production by Dominic Kramer, and editing by Katie Lee. Lisa Klavermark was the voice of Ellie, and music and sound effects came from Blue Dot Sessions and freesound.org. Thanks for listening.